In this episode, oh damn! <laughs> In this episode of the Full Nerd, AMD has some bad news and some good news, and Corsair's George Makers is here to talk about everything Corsair. Welcome to the Full Nerd episode 108. I'm your host Gordon Maung with co-host Brad Charkis. Hey, internet. To my right, Elaine Yi. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm going to get to George. Uh, actually, I should, I'm going to do George now. I got a little messed up because there's more than one person. If you're <laughs> listening on audio, there is one special person here. It is Corsair's director of marketing, George Makers. Mm-hmm. George is OG PC. He knows a lot of stuff about the PC. But first, we got we got to give our shout out to Adam Patrick Murray, who is making this possible. Uh, yeah, sorry if there's any uh, if there's any problems, you can blame it on me. So just you know, just uh, get, get get the questions in in the chat, and also say how how bad the stream's going. Uh, but also, I'd like <laughs> to point out earlier. George had a, a really good take on Star Trek The Motion Picture, uh, <laughs> so if, if you missed that, you want to go back and watch it, but uh, just real quick, what, what did you uh, compare it to? I said it was like uh, Event Horizon, but like not a horror version, basically. It's okay. kind of like, the, you know, the ship goes out, comes back, and they have to figure out what happened. It's George's plot way of saying, meh, it's, you know, it's, yeah, I get, you Like know, the rank of Star Trek things. movies, it's like number seven for me. It is an even-numbered Star Trek movie, so that holds up. It's not. It's not. It's the first it's an one. Odd-numbered Star Trek movie. <laughs> I mean, it's odd. It's an odd-numbered. It's an odd-numbered. number. But it's a bad. It's a bad Star Trek movie. <laughs> bad Star Trek movie. Uh, why don't we talk about Rising? <laughs> we're we're going to talk about Rising, but what I want to do point out: if you're looking at the set behind us and you're tuning in, this is not our normal place. We are actually at location at Corsair. Awesome game room. We talked about it early before the show, but in case you don't see it, so we are on location. Could have some issues, but let's get to what everybody wants to talk about, and I'm going to say this the reverse order that people usually say, and that is AMD has bad news, and they got good news. So we're starting with the bad news, then? Yeah. Well, because I, I think that's the way you do it. Uh, it's just like basically <laughs> saying, hey, the Ryzen uh, 12-core Ryzen 9 3950X, 16-core, geez. 16-core Ryzen 9 3950X that was due... Basically, this month, wasn't it? Soon is what we were told before. Delayed a month, at least a month, I think. Mm. So wait, so that that pre-order that I put in last week, uh, now it's not good. Like, I well, you probably get it first when they ship. So, oh, okay. And that to me, it's pretty bad news because, well, one, I mean, all people go, well, what's a month? It's just a month, right? Not a big deal. But remember, this comes on the heels of the dual die. 12-core Ryzen 9 3900X being out of stock essentially since the day it was introduced. Like, I know that for a lot of places, they went out of stock. They sold everything they had the first day. Nobody's seen it since. I think Mark has said, Mark's story said it was... Mark said that uh, when he researched uh, inventory reports or whatever it was, I think the last known sighting was August 15th. Yikes. Yeah. So it's September 24th. Yeah. What what if I have work to do and I need to do it right now? Well, you should... well, for 3900X, you should have pre-ordered. Ah, is what you should have it. Done, or you're going to have to buy a pre-built. Uh, but so I think that's sort of like you have the, the, the 3900X and the 3950X is just super rare. And I think people are getting pretty nervous about that. That's, you know, of course, enough to make people angry. Mm-hmm. 
See, see, considering that the 3900X has been virtually impossible to find, it's been selling for what the 3950X is expected to sell for, around 700 750 bucks on eBay. Yep. I'm personally totally fine. I'd rather them push it back a month and say, hey, it's just going to take an extra month. These things are very popular. We want to make sure you have them on day one. Uh, then for it to be a paper launch, and there's 50 of the things actually available. Oh, but here, okay, here, but here's the other thing is besides just simply saying we're delaying it a month, AMD also came out and they said, oh, by the way, we're going to have a third gen Threadripper uh, 24 core. That'll be available next month, too, I think. And to me, it, I think if they just simply said it was delayed, it's not a big deal. But the fact that they're also like, they're like, hey, we're, they essentially soft launched a CPU <laughs> by email as an afterthought. Which it's like kind of makes you wonder, like, why would you? Because you know, companies like to make big announcements on big products. Third gen Threadripper is going to be probably pretty awesome when it comes out. But then it's just like as an email subject line, it's just like it just seems odd to just kind of like give it away like that. I mean, am I missing something there? Or is this kind of like people should be a little worried about next month for Ryzen? George cons- concerns. <laughs> I, well, I don't want to get George in trouble here. He can't. He's like, no. Um, <laughs> I actually. To be fair, I would rather they get the product right than launch it early. That's kind of how I feel about product in general. Is it like, yeah, okay, if you have to delay a product, that sucks, and you wish you'd launch it on time. That's the ideal. But if you have to make that tough decision uh, where you're like, do we launch it now and it's not done or it's not as good as it could be, or do we wait a month and get it right, I'd wait the month. Like, in the grand scheme of things, if 3950X is as exciting as it looks and Threadripper 3 is as exciting as it looks, then in three years, no one will remember if it launched in September, October. Yeah, you know? that's exactly. I think I forget which designer it was. I think it was Shigeru Miyamoto. It, it might have been somebody else who said, you know, ten years from now, people will remember a great product. They won't remember if it got delayed slightly. So you're yeah. saying when Half Life Three comes out, people well, yeah, are, oh, it's not. I mean, we're okay. not talking like Duke Nukem Forever delays, where it's <laughs> like, you know, like just, literally the Beatles like formed, recorded every song, and broke up in less time than it took to finish Duke Nukem Forever. So <laughs> I think that maybe that's a little bit of the extravagant case of it. But a month or two is not a big deal. Okay, so not not too. You're not too alarmed by it, Lana. You got any kind of like freaked out, kind of like? I think I am completely at a loss for why it would be such a big deal. I mean, I think if you're itching to get your hands on that part because you've been waiting to upgrade, it does you know suck to wait an extra, let's say, four weeks, maybe longer. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm with George. It's like you want a product that when you actually pop it in, that it's going to be great. You don't yeah. want it to have There's problems. Sorry, I thought you had stopped. No, cool. There has never been a consumer desktop chip like this. This is breaking new ground. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's bound to be growing pains with that. I'm much rather. I'm. I'm much more glad that it's going to exist, even if it takes a month from now, than it, you know, coming out and being that big. Right. And one one of the guys in the chat said, you know, you don't make changes to the silicon this late, which is true. They're not going to change the silicon, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that microcode and that firmwares and that software support and DRAM speeds and all those other things um, cannot be improved. Um, or maybe they they have yield stuff. Who knows what's going on? Like I, I'm not. I don't work at AMD. I don't really know why they pushed it out in a month, um, but. At the end of the day, like I just want the product to be good. No, I, with I, uh, with uh, with everything going on recently with AMD, you know, Ajisa updates and you know the controversy over clock speeds and stuff like that. Uh, one, I wouldn't be surprised if they just need this time to build more inventory because they've had high demand for Epic and stuff like that. Two, I wouldn't be surprised if they want to give it a little bit of space for all those fixes that they just rolled out 
to, you know, shake out and see, make sure everything's running right before they launch their big flagship first ever 16 core consumer desktop product. Right. And from a memory manufacturer standpoint, um, you know, we saw with every version of Ryzen that's launched so far, um, a couple months later, the memory support was better. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, you know, it was pretty good at launch, and then it got better the next month and better the next month, and we have faster speeds. And, like, we just broke 4866 on, on Ryzen 3 um, and announced that, like, last week. So I think that, um, for all we know, it's like, hey, we have some microcode improvements. We can get 5,000 megahertz or something like that if we can do this one tweak, and maybe that's something they're looking at. So there's a number of reasons you could delay the product. There could be economic reasons. There could be, um, you know, memory stuff that... Memory controlling is a real dark art, so it's uh, it's something that's not exactly easy, especially when you go from one chip to the next chip, and you know yields and stuff are all over the place. Yeah, but I, I so that's the one thing that that I guess I when thirty nine hundred X went on sale it was awesome. It obviously immediately sold out. I I gave AMD a lot of slack because you know hey it's a new product, hot products most tough first you know month or so, but. <clears throat> the fact that it hasn't come back yet kind of scares me. And the fact that they're both of these are dual die. What I'm afraid of is there's yield issues with TSMC or they just... And it makes it a lot easier. Like, well, you know, it's better to sell one one die as a and make some profit rather than to put two of them in there. And I'm just kind of like... I'm getting nervous, as my mom would probably say whenever I leave the house. Do <laughs> you have a jacket? Did you eat anything? Because you know how mom's like, did you eat anything? So you're like a hardware launch mom? Yes, yes. <laughs> but I know. I just, I just, at some point, I, I feel like, because, and this is the one thing that Intel fans say, like, if this were Intel, you would be jumping all over their heads over this. And I think there's something a little fair about that. Um, but uh, I've been waiting for the 9900KS for six months now, I think it's been, or something like that. Well, they said it would launch at the end of the year, I think. So, all And right. I've already seen the links on, leaks on Geekbench. No, that's true. <laughs> oh, and actually, but again, the other thing that really kind of gets me, and I would think if it was like, yeah, hey, we delayed it a lunch, a lunch to make sure we hit the clock speeds and people aren't up in arms about that. But the fact that they would use Threadripper to sort of mask the bad news of this of the delay is kind of what troubles me a little bit. I but think. don't you think that, that that's like a little conspiracy theorist though? Like it is a conspiracy a theorist. Like, of course, they mentioned Threadripper. No, that's I, how they are going to yeah, get you. Yeah, like, I don't, you I don't, are you sure about that though? Because I feel like they kicked off a little bit of controversy by saying it's 24 core because everyone's like, it's not 32. Does that mean we're not getting 32? Oh noes. This is the end of the world. Yeah, that's yeah. what I. Yeah, they have to save something for the one more thing at the end of the, the presentation. And they're pretty good at that. Right, yeah. I, I do. I, yeah, I think people jump to the conclusion that they're to switch gears a little bit. That there will be no thirty-two core third report. I don't think that's true. I think no, it's twenty-four core. We don't even care about that. We'll just like let I, that I, go, right? I literally, you know, I have never seen anybody on if you go into forums or on Reddit or anything like that who doesn't expect eventually a thread rip of thirty-two core. Yeah. So yep. everybody in public seems to think it's something that will happen sooner or later. But I think, but some people do for some reason. I, there's also some people who think, oh, 24-core, that's it. They're not going to do 32 because they essentially launched their 24-core part by subject line of an email. So yeah. that's... Well, that's like a lot of people were like confused by the 18-core thing from Intel, right? It's like, okay, well, I thought we were going 4 and Elite. 8 and 12 and 16. <laughs> like, why are we at 18? Like, that's a weird... Like, a 21-core processor coming soon. <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah, there was a... There was a... Just yesterday, there was a Geekbench... Score for oh, a more Geekbench. Wait, are we are we mentioning leaks in front of Brad? Yeah, yeah, but it's a core, <laughs> but, uh, but no, Core i nine, 
10920X, I think. Is that the model number? I don't have it exactly. But I think it's a 10920X, basically 18-core Comet Lake uh, X part, right? Sorry, Cascade Lake X. Sorry. Need some water there. So that's going to be an 18 core Cascade Lake X part, according to that leak. And there are other leaks that have been saying there would be an 18 core part, you know, Cascade Lake X. Um, and I guess, right. in some ways, I, after seeing that leak yesterday, and I, I just that's why I really think like this: these companies are leaking it directly. I could see AMD saying, "Oh, we know they have 18 cores coming. Let's just get 24 core out there as a." Well, wouldn't you think that if they're doing it by email subject line, as you put it, that it's not as a big of a deal to them? Because otherwise, they, if it was like something that was supposed to be more key and a big deal, they'd blow it up more. Yeah. It's almost like they're like, oh, sorry to keep you waiting here. Like, have this like cup of tea while you wait. No, but I, well, no, I just, it's. <laughs> Your table's not ready yet. So you have the appetizer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> have a drink at the bar. Exactly. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, but, the, uh, okay, here's how it goes. It starts, it began, what, last week. By the way, we're delaying this for two weeks. How's it going? Pretty nice weather up there in California. I hear PS, 24 core rise in third of right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? That's I think that's like, the actual body text of an email. Yeah, right. and then, <laughs> but then, of course, yesterday we see the 18 core Geekbench leak for that, you know, supposed uh, Cascade Lake X part. And I kind of realized, like, they're both, it just feels like that's, they're just kind of, like, maneuvering people that way, you know, because you have leaks. I, I just, I, George, I don't, I don't know, because, I mean, you guys have hardware. You sign NDAs. You have hardware that's probably hidden here. Oh, we have stuff for 2027. We have, yeah, yeah. We're way in the future. <laughs> but, have, but you we have processors that are beyond course. But they're, you like, multi-planar existence <laughs> processors. <laughs> but you know in your lab, you know, like, hey, what do you think the scores in Geekbench? Well, hey, hang on a second. Let me plug it into the internet, and and then you can run that test. It's like, right? It's just yeah. like it. Well, I mean, so you know, of course, there's a fairly large company now, uh, and we do have uh, really good relationships with AMD and Intel and Nvidia and all these guys. And we have, you know, we do stuff like uh, memory compatibility testing for them, and we verify that it works at certain speeds at launch and sure. all these things. Um, and turning on things like XMP or, or all the various versions of that that exist in motherboards and helping out MSI and Asus and Gigabyte and all these motherboard guys. We help all those guys with that uh, to make sure that, that it works at launch, right? So, yeah, we do get, you know, early engineering silicon from these guys occasionally, and we kind of know what's happening next month and six months from now sure. and so on and so forth. But I'm not going to lie. We Every once in a while, we do get surprised by something like, you know, someone at Intel decides, you know what, we're going to launch this now anyway. Or AMD decides, hey, we're going to, you know, we, we told you guys we're going to wait till Q1, but we're going to pull it into Q4 sure. um, because of whatever. And so we see that stuff happen all the time. NVIDIA is kind of famous for that, too, where they just decide to launch something for, like, supers kind of came relatively quickly from what we were expecting. Right. You know, we knew something was coming, but it was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's coming next month instead of six months from now. They're looking for the right timing for it. So. Well, and... Their definition of the right timing is not always the same as what the industry would expect, right? So, you know, um, I think from a business perspective, you have to, like, from, let's say, for Corsair's perspective, right? So if I'm launching a new power supply line and I want to launch my new, you know, unobtainium level efficiency and all this <laughs> other stuff that we have, um, then I want to figure out when I'm going to get the most impact for that launch. 
And so part of it is impact as sales, like how many units am I going to sell? But also sales is directly related to press and coverage. So if you launch something in a really, really busy press cycle where like AMD just launched their processor, Intel just launched their processor, NVIDIA just launched a new graphics card, that would be like the wrong week to launch that power supply because the press is full of all right. your guys. You guys are going to be talking about all that Very. stuff as opposed to a, an efficiency bump of 2% on a power supply. Um, whereas if I wait until like nothing is happening and everyone's still just kind of you know, doing nothing – then we can kind of take a week to ourselves and say, hey, by the way, there's this awesome new power supply course that I came up with that's super cool. And so we kind of have to time stuff around that. We're nowhere near the size of AMD and sure. Intel and NVIDIA. So, you know, we kind of we play that game a little bit. And I'm sure they all play the same game, too. You know, no one announces anything the week Apple launches new phones, for example. You know, so. <laughs> yes, you do. You're not, you, <laughs> yeah. you air your bad news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like the, the Ryzen the Boost patch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Ryzen Boost patch came <laughs> on the also, somebody in the chat is saying, you just revealed uh, Corsair has unobtainium. That's uh, big yeah, news, it's right? A, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've broken an NDA. Yeah, crap. I, I don't understand that anyway, because I think there's a, not to get too nerdy about power supplies here. We're saving that for later. We mm -hmm. have other segments coming up. Stay tuned later. <laughs> but how do we go from bronze, silver, platinum? Bronze, silver, gold, oh. platinum to titanium. I will take a pound of platinum over a pound of uh, I I mean, yeah, a lot of us would. Uh, I think that... Honestly, the 80-plus org uh, did not really foresee when they named these things uh, going beyond platinum rationally. And when you start to get to, like, valuable minerals, there's not that many that are, like, worth more than gold. And we're not going to be, like, platinum. Einsteinium, California. <laughs> we're going to get these, these minerals that last for a millisecond in a lab somewhere. Like, so I think that, you know, these elements, rather. Sorry, not minerals. Yeah, I guess it would uh, be tough um, to export your power supply and have it sing uranium right Yeah, exactly. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We, we would definitely not be able to ship to certain regions on that one. That's, there would be a lot of import taxes. I would, like, if I were a reseller, I would rather sell a pound of uranium than a pound of uh, titanium. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's probably good money in the uranium industry. I, I don't know. I've never really sold uranium directly, <laughs> as far as you can prove. But I'm so pretty sure. So confirm Corsair is not getting into selling uranium. Yeah, I yeah, I there will not be any uranium. Any, uh, there's nothing I can say right now that will help me in any way. So I'm just going to pretend that it's eighty plus matters. plutonium. Plutonium. Oh, okay. Plutonium. Yeah. Got it. Like, but bringing bring back to AMD, like my feelings on the matter with all this is, I think. It's clear that there's some mixture of supply and demand problems. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the new 7 nanometer process. You know, it's a little hard getting, you know, those dies out. Uh, I also wouldn't be surprised if there's, like, tremendous demand for these chips because Ryzen 3rd Gen kicks all kind of ass. Uh, so it makes more sense to me. I, it makes sense to me that what they're doing. It makes sense to me saying, hey, we're going to delay these 16 core parts so that we can get two chips out of these 3600 or 3900. Or 38. There's so many numbers. 3,800. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we can get two of those out instead of doing one 3950X. And it's the same with Threadripper. I mean, uh, 24 cores is only three three chips. It's not four chips, which is what 32 cores will be. I, I suspect that as supply starts to even out a little bit, demand starts to taper a little bit, we might see those higher core counts. I still wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I fully expect to see a 32-core Threadripper. I still wouldn't be surprised to see a 64-core Threadripper. Uh, I just think they just need time for their supplies to shake out. So not worried. Brad is not. He's not like my mom telling me to bring my jacket when I leave the house. <laughs> and a vest. And a vest. And a vest. A vest and a jacket. jacket. Washes. I'm, well, I'm way mom. too stylish for the vest. Actually, my mom That's gave me a bougie. vest, though. See? Told you. <laughs> Chinese mom. No, I mean, like, 
this year. <laughs> I'm in the mountains of New Hampshire, so sometimes I have to go out in a sweater with a puffy jacket. So. I, well, no, it was like this brown, unique low <laughs> puffy vest. And it's like, oh, you can wear this around the office if it's cold. It's like, you really want to wear this brown vest? I was, I was like, shocked. No. I was massively shocked with how popular unique low was when I was in Taiwan. Really? When I, oh, to, yeah. when I go to Computex or when I go to Taiwan for work, there's just so much of it around like i mean in san francisco you see it here and there obviously right but man there's just it was like a it was like nike there like where you just see it everywhere. oh my god that's i'm when i go to computex i'm i'm gonna bring my brown down unique low vest and resell it there you'll I be can, mugged yeah They'll, like maybe. literally hold you up in the maybe like wait a second They're how like come Air the Jordan's size is off exactly. <laughs> yeah. why is the sizing off yeah, sorry, it's, the sizing off? it's a big size but all right so amd we're not worried I guess is a consensus. No, right. no reason to hand ring over that one then. I mean, I think if you've been waiting on pins and needles for it, it's going to suck for you. But I think yeah, for it's as, disappointing, as a, but yeah, not concerning. Exactly. How long till it's time to get agitated, though? How much? How much rope do you give them? If so, well, if it, it doesn't <laughs> launch in, by the end of the year, then it's like hmm. Yeah. Intel years. Intel doesn't have comparable twenty four core, thirty two core parts. So I mean, you're just going to wait. You can't get that mad. You, they already offer a 32-core second-gen part, so if you need that many cores that bad, just go get one. Right. Yeah. Or they could, <laughs> you know what they need to do is have people stand in the end caps at Best Buy. <laughs> hey, you got 900K right here. Okay, you want to buy that? We got it. We'll just get everybody oh, in a line outside of Micro Center, like when they're waiting for a new Samsung phone or a new Apple phone in the sidewalks. Just 3950s <laughs> are coming on Thursday, and people have to camp out Wednesday night for them. There, he actually reported on that for yeah, the uh, 3900X. People really? actually were in line at Micro Center. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah people lined up. Like a block long of people nerds standing. Is up it weird at. that that makes sense to me, but the Apple phone thing and the the Samsung phone thing doesn't? <laughs> like I wouldn't, under, I would never wait in line for a phone, but I could see like yeah, twelve core oh. processor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> priorities. That's why you're a guest on this show. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and talk about priorities. Uh, RGB is a major priority for a lot of people RGB. building PCs. Oh, okay. So why don't we talk about some RGB? Oh, nice transition. Yeah, yeah there you go. Very nice well, there. Today. Mm. Segway. All right, so, uh, George, the big news, of course, for Corsair, we saw it at CES, CES the first Capellix. Am I pronouncing it right? Yeah. I got that right. Capellix uh, in modules. We don't have any setup here, but they're behind us. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Are they Are they? Cons- are they actually mini-LED technology? Yeah, so basically the idea behind it was, um, you know, RGB is, is a fad that everyone likes to hate on, like, online, right? So everyone, I love it. I mean, I think that... People think RGB means rainbow barf mode on everything um, because in a still photo, you can't really say it's RGB unless you show multiple colors, right? And a lot of things are still still photos, Amazon pages and things like that. Product photography has to be a still photo, and that tells you it's multiple colors right. in rainbow mode. But we know that like nobody who really buys the RGB product runs them in rainbow mode all the time. They, they end up setting the, the color settings they like, and then you know six months later they get tired of blue and teal or whatever, and they go to pink and rainbow or whatever they want to go to. That's what I think everyone likes the idea of being able to customize your lighting. But you know the, the term RGB, everyone kind of gets everyone hates on it a little bit online. But what we've seen is that like the demand is really, really strong. People want that feature to be able to change that. Um, one of the main problems is, is that it can be power consuming. Uh, there's a lot, especially the more lights you put on it, the more LEDs you put on something, the better lighting capabilities you have. But then you have to worry about power delivery. Um, even at some point, you have to worry about heat. Things like that can be significant. So Capellix basically takes, normally an LED has 
um, like a little package. It comes in a little package, a little plastic housing, a little lens on it, and then that has a, a connection to that goes into the the PCB, um, and that adds resistance. And then the lens diffuses the light a little bit and softens the light, so you have less brightness. Um, Capellix basically takes a diode, an LED diode, and puts it right onto the ground plane of the PCB. So you basically, uh, well, not the ground plane, but onto the PCB itself. So it's all connected to the PCB directly. So you don't have the package, you don't have the the lens, and as a result, it's more power efficient. Um, it doesn't create as much heat, and it's significantly brighter. So basically, everything that an LED does, it does better. It's also much much smaller. So because you don't have that package, you can put about you know, 20 in the same spot. You can put one standard LED if you wanted to. Hmm. Um, so it's it's really, just from a functionality perspective, it's superior in that way. Um, for the Dominator Platinum RGBs that we did, um, you can really look at it and see the lighting compared to the Vengeance RGB, which is traditional LEDs. Uh, the Dominator Platinum has the Capellic. So if you see side by side, you can see a much more granular, brighter situation and, and better light recreation. Um, so we've launched Dominator Platinum RGB with Capellics, and then we just launched a keyboard, the K57 Wireless, oh. with Capellics as well. Oh, really? I didn't know the, the K57 had it. Yeah, the new K57 Wireless has Capellics LEDs in it. How many are you putting in under the, the keys? All of them. Oh. <laughs> no, I um, mean, like... <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, is it significantly brighter? <laughs> that was good. That, that, I would, I would want that. I would, yeah, I would want that keyboard. But is it significantly brighter than a traditional? LED? It can be, but really, what's important for a wireless keyboard is the battery life. So when you're creating, you know, hundreds of LEDs on a wireless keyboard, um, for example, like, you know, if you take a K63, which is a wireless keyboard that we make as well, that doesn't have RGB, just a standard backlighting. The reason it doesn't have RGB is because in RGB mode, you actually have three separate LEDs in a standard LED. So you have a red, a green, and a blue, and and you have to recreate that. So turn Turning on RGB mode is massively power intensive and sucks battery life pretty badly on a wireless keyboard. Capellix allows you to get much better battery life. Um, and so you do get better brightness as well, um, but it's adjustable so you can change it from moderate to you know, severe level of brightness or off if you don't want it. Um, but yeah, the battery life is much less affected with Capellix than it would be with standard LEDs. So, like, maybe five times? I mean, because it's usually wireless keyboard. Maybe. I mean, it's not linear, right? Yeah. There's all kinds of other things that go into battery life. Uh, but, yeah, it's significantly more. And that's the, that's the second uh, use of Capellix. Are we going to see – I do want to know on RAM. I don't want to get too – again, we're going to be having other segments about this later. But on RAM, are you, are you taking that – do you save in power and thermals and make a difference anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit thermally better. I mean, we don't really – so from RAM – I mean, we have heat sinks on RAM and stuff like that to cool it down. But except for the very hairy edge, once you get up to the really top overclock speeds, um, heat is is not usually an issue on DDR4 that much. Um, yeah. It can be when you start overvolting and overclocking and stuff like that. But it, if you're just running, you know, standard speed like 3200 up to that point, um, heat is, is there and is significant. But it's not going to be a terrifying concern like it would be with anything else. And just generic case airflow should be enough to cool your RAM um, in a decently uh, – I guess aerated case uh, so I would say that but I would say that um, you know it does help a little bit especially <coughs> if you wanted to uh, create massive overclocking memory and stuff like that if you wanted to every little watt helps so it'll save you a little bit okay but not not enough to, to really nerf your performance right really the, the benefit is the size the physical size of the, the lights don't take up as much space that leaves you more room for diffusing the light more cleverly and you create better industrial design around the lighting as opposed to having you know single directional kind of LED where this thing can kind of be diffused in a bunch of different directions can we hint at where else we could see Capellix well we put LEDs on almost yelled. everything we sell so okay. it's theoretically possible mm -hmm. that it could go anywhere um, hmm. so we have 
And we have an RGB keyboard that has Capellix. We have RGB memory that has Capellix. Uh, you know, coolers, cases, all these things have uh, LEDs in them now. So I think the roadmap for Capellix has to be internally looking at the the products that would benefit most from it, and what kind of innovative features and things that it could be used for. So. For example, um, if it's smaller and it creates less heat and it's more power efficient, wireless mice or something like that may make some sense to do that eventually. So, I mean, I can't go into the you know what I sure. know is coming, but it's it's not hard to extrapolate the benefits of literally making a better LED in every single way. Uh, and turning it into a product is not hard. I, to I hadn't even uh, thought before you just mentioned it to that how much of a power improvement that that could provide wireless peripherals. Uh, because I believe you guys showed it first in RAM, right? Yeah, yeah, memory. And so I just had in my head, hey, man, this is going to be on RAM soon. Uh, the idea of using that to save power in wireless keyboards and mice, that's really intriguing to me. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is that, like I said, you don't have to go in rainbow barf mode. So, for example, if you want to go with a gaming keyboard and sit on your couch and have a wireless keyboard for that purpose, like if you're going to play, uh, you know, I don't know, Civilization or something from your couch, um, then... You know, having hotkeys mapped in different colors so that you can just sit there and kind of see, oh, the red ones are this and the blue ones are that. It's something that a lot of people actually do. And that's one of the things that we see people doing in, in you know, the IQ software a lot is customizing the profile based on games and stuff like that so that the lighting changes based on the game they're using. Uh, and that's something that I think is actually an application of the RGB technology that people overlook. They think that it's just like, oh, it's a strictly aesthetic thing, which it can be, but it's also functional if you want it to be. So I, I wouldn't that's just for aesthetics. So... I actually, I just kind of thought about it. Like, so you know, in, especially in like a wireless headset, because yeah. wireless headset is going to consume far more power than a mouse, because you've got all the drivers and everything. But I'm wondering if there's enough power savings you could, you could actually get, because most of the RGB uh, wireless headsets are, you know, pretty minimal. You just basically get a circle around the outside, right. and that's it. I just was hoping to get it to the obnoxious level. So you want it like a like a disco freak, like across the across full the leg. band, and then across the entire boom mic, and like like Knight Rider visor mode. Yeah, that's like that's Doth an episode Punk of helmet type stuff. Eighties Buck Rogers. Eighties Buck Rogers. Maybe they would put LEDs. And stuff I'll ask cool. the the headset guys to put that on the roadmap for you. Yes. Can we get Gordon a disco <laughs> it headset? Should be obnoxious. Yeah. It'll be the Gordon Maung edition. The Gordon Maung, the signature series. Yeah, you, I'm <laughs> sure they had it in the set of Blade Runner. <laughs> Because the power settings, because you really... Can we work out a contract for royalties on that after this so we can get together? It's like 10,000 LEDs in one headset. Uh, Gordon edition. i got to say, Chad is not liking that idea. They're not going to like it in the chat, but they all pre-ordered it just now. Uh, true, Here, very here's true. my other idea, is an entire case. Just the entire surface of the case, LEDs. <laughs> okay. It's just a light bright. The whole thing. It's just a light bright. It's a light it's, bright. It's a light bright. <laughs> it's like, what was the Joker? I mean, think about stars. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, a, <laughs> it's like the end of 2001. Like, oh, my God. Why, why don't you just get lights and shine them on your case? It's not as cool because it's. That's true. It's not as cool. It's what's oh. emanating from okay. the, the object. It's I do think. I, so I, I will say this. I do think case lighting is one of those areas that we could look at, you know, significantly improving uh, in, with, with Capellix and LEDs in the future, too. I think that that's something that, you know, I was the case product manager here for six or seven years. And, I, you know, coming from where we made no cases to all the cases uh, that we sold until about 2015 when I took this job. Um, one of the things that I always wished we could do and we had the technology to do was have interior lighting and things like that. So, like, when you were working on the case, you could actually see inside it instead of just – so, like, there's things like uh. that that we would look at the roadmap and try and implement. I think that that's something that it's, – it's useful as well as cool. 
So that's my, my thought process. And from the factory. We're talking factory. Right. Like, I, I would love to have just a button you press on your case that turns on the interior light so you can work on it, right? And that's what all these things were. Now, if you can do it in software, that's even better. But, you know, there's all kinds of ways around that. So I think you'll see... I think case lighting will have a massive leap forward over the next couple of years, not just from us, but from everybody in the industry. Uh-huh. I mean, it already has. If you look, you know, five years ago, there was like one RGB case in the world, and now there's 30 or whatever. Speaking of cases, should we move on to the case? Set? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. See, that's a much Discussion? More, a yeah, much there you go. Yeah. yeah. Natural there we so go. that's where I want to kick that off is earlier you mentioned case uh, airflow from uh, case design, which I think is important, but is... Are people getting a little too overly focused on airflow sometimes? I don't know. I don't think so. I think airflow is really critical. It's it's the core function of what your PC case sure. exists for, right? Like to keep your components basically secured in one place, safe from electrostatic discharge, and cool. So I think that keeping focus on what airflow is required for your case is good. And then the balance of noise to cooling is always a, tr- a tricky one, right? And it's individual. Like you may really, really, really want your case to be silent, whereas I wear closed back earphones. I, I don't care how loud my case is because I'm always wearing my headphones. So it doesn't matter to me. I'll have it maximize cooling. The best thing, I think, for what we're trying to do is optimize the right kind of balance of good airflow uh, and good noise reduction at the same time um, without you know, negatively affecting, for example, costs or negatively affecting aesthetics in a way. So we see like one of the things that we see a lot of people asking is, you know, why don't you just put a bunch of mesh on the front of this case and call it a day? And, you know, the answer is because that case has existed for 10 years and it's boring and nobody buys it anymore because people want something that's distinctive and interesting, you know. Um, and so you have to find a balance between good airflow and a distinctive industrial design and, and, and you know, aesthetic that people want to put in their room because tastes change drastically. You know, like, you know, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, things like the, uh, the 780T or 760T cases or the Obsidian 750D, which is just a giant black monolith box with aluminum on the front, which a lot of people still like. It's still my kind of personal preference. But I'm, you know, 40 years old now, and, and these new, the newer gamer, the newer generation of PC builders and gamers are 15 and 17 and 20, and they're wanting something a little different. They want something that has a different shape to it or a different color to it or a different finish to it. And so you have to figure out how to inspire those guys to build a new rig with your system. At the same time, you have to balance that with the, the functionality that we do now. So, you know, when I did cases, you had to have three optical drive bays. Now you don't. You know, nobody's putting three optical drives. Well, some guy in the in the chat will dare. I have five right now, but there's you know, most people are not even putting one optical drive in their system. So I have two. Yeah, <laughs> well, you have to yeah, be yeah it was, it was three or four years ago. I forget y'all had a marketing uh, name for it, but I believe Corsair is one of the first major case manufacturers to get rid of all the drive bays and the optical drive things in the front to optimize the airflow going right through the direct system, Direct right? airflow path is what we call it. It's not like trademark there or anything, is. but we just call it direct <laughs> airflow path because it's, it's... Sounds good. Well, I mean, it's what it is, right? We try... Air going in. We generally try... <laughs> I know this sounds... No one's going to believe this, but even like a big company like Corsair, we try and avoid marketing-y kind of trademarky things that don't actually offer some function or benefit to people. So things like direct airflow path is just descriptive of what it is. It, it It's... Getting the air from the cold intake to the hot component as quickly as you can. So the first one of the first chassis we had that had that layout was like the Air 540 case where we put the power supply and the hard drives all in the back chamber, and then we had your GPU and CPU in this chamber. Um, and that case, you can still buy a version of it now, the 680X, the Crystal Series 680X, which is basically the same skeleton with you know tempered glass around it because it's 2019. Um, and RGB lighting and RGB fans. 
But I think that um, that path, that, that airflow thing has made sense because people are putting less and less drives in their systems in general, um, especially now with M.2s and things like that. Uh, you know, you can build a really good gaming rig with a two terabyte M.2 rig uh, SSD, and you don't have a single two point five inch or three point half inch, uh, half inch drive in there at all. And so, you know, the idea of having to have six and eight and ten, you know, three and a half inch drive bays or four SSD trays, it's basically kind of a slightly outdated chassis design. Now, there are you know corner cases where we still have cases that have that feature because some people build you know storage builds and file systems sure. and file servers rather and stuff like that. But for the most part, people are doing that as a as a standard build now. But so it's interesting because that seems to be at odds with the one thousand D, which was uh, <laughs> shown off at Corsair. <laughs> I mean, by at Computex by Corsair, it's. It's a huge super tower case. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a big boy. Dual, dual, you know, it's dual build, mini mm-hmm. ITX and a extended ATX. What are people, I mean, I love super towers. That's kind of like where I, the world I came from. But mm-hmm. where are people putting in these? Whatever they want, man. That's yeah. the point. Of it. So it's like the 1000D is basically, so it's like a Halo product methodology, right? You yeah. launch something that does everything. And you know that you're not going to sell 50,000 of them a month or something like that. And we're going to sell millions and millions of 1000Ds. But we don't have to. It's not the point of it. The point of it is for the 500 or 5,000 guys a month who want to buy that type of chassis, we offer the best version of it. Um, and the idea is, okay, so you can put two systems in it, or you can just build the world's most ridiculous water cooling rigs with two 480s and two 360s at the same time and stuff like that. Um, you could run triple or quad loop in there if you wanted to. Um, and it has, offers some flexibility. And we, you know, so if you guys are familiar with, it's a car analogy time. Uh, for those of you guys <laughs> who are familiar with like Mercedes, um, they test out stuff on the S class on their premium level cars uh, before they bring it down to like C class and E class stuff. So they had like, Years ago, they came up with that um, automated uh, uh, cruise control where it kind of keeps your distance from the car in front of you, and they had that on S-Class only. And now that's like, you can buy that on like a Kia. You know, that technology exists everywhere. Um, So that was obviously a feature that people cared about. Now, they also have little things that they used to put on the cars, like, you know, windshield wipers on the the headlights. They don't put that on there anymore because it wasn't really that much of a value add. So when you have these Halo products like 1000D, it's a chance for you to try out new features and see how popular they are. And then if you find out one of these two features or three features is really, really popular, you can bring that feature down uh, to, you know, more affordable cases. And one of the the really cool features of the 1000D, or the slide-out trays, I think. Exactly. Because nobody's done that before, right? I mean, right. That was a great idea um, by the, the product manager at the time, this guy, uh, Michael, that was here. And he came up with this great idea to, uh, you know, one of the biggest uh, pains is when you're installing fans in a case, you're contorting your hands and arms around yep. it. So he came up with this idea of, from server tray guys that, you know, you pull out a one new server and work on it and then slide it back in. Do the same thing with the fans. So you have a tray that slides in and slides out. So you can pull this out, install your fans, and slide it right back in. Um, and it's actually a really, really cool way to, ins- to build your system for the first time. Um, so we'll see the popularity of that uh, based on feedback on it. People seem to like it. So if that is something that gets popular, maybe we'll roll that into other cases that cost less than a 1,000D does. Hmm. I, I do have a, a good question about the uh, about the, the market segment thing. This is from uh, Paskowitz on YouTube. Uh, what the hell happened to the 200 to $500 price segment for cases? I feel like there are no premium cases that aren't full tower monsters. Can George talk to the various market segments? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that um, without getting too much into the weeds on it. I think the real issue has been that, um, like I said, the number of things people are putting in their cases has reduced in physical size. So the the number of three and a half inch drives, the number of two and a half inch drives you have to accommodate in a, in a standard mid tower case 
has gone down. One of the premier, people don't realize this, but one of the premier cost drivers of a case is literally physical size. The lar- it's not just the amount of materials, but shipping costs. Mm. So things like, um, from the logistics side, container optimization and things like that. How many of these can I fit in a 40-foot high-cube container and then they have to go on a boat from you know Shenzhen to wherever? Um, if you can fit 500 cases in a container versus 1,000 cases in a container, your shipping cost literally goes down in half, right? And it's not, the case doesn't literally have to be half the size to f- optimize it that much. Sometimes it's just an inch or two narrower or an inch or two shorter and you, you're there. Um, so I think that when you realize that, you know, the cost of shipping around, you know, the quote is you're shipping around a lot of Chinese air to the rest of the world because they're not compacted. You don't unfold them when you right, get them. Right. And they don't nest like, you know, plastic cups or something. So I think that uh, when you ship that around, that's the majority of the cost. So what's happened is, is that as people have used less and less high-end components, and NVIDIA has kind of effectively killed SLI and Crossfire is kind of not really a thing except for corner cases, people realize all I need is an ATX motherboard, a single graphics card. I'm not putting a sound card in it. I'm not putting, you know, 10 hard drives in it. I don't. You should definitely have a sound card. I think you should have <laughs> just, a sound card. Just saying. But I have a sound card in my system. But again, I'm, I'm on the hairy edge of that. So I think that most people have realized that they can get away with a smaller case, which means that their case that they used to spend 150 or 170 on or 200 bucks on has become an $89 or $99 case um, because it's just that much more cost effective. Also, the other side of the things is, you know, USB 3.1 ports and, you know, a couple of those on top is enough. People don't need four or six of them all the time. Um, two or three fans included. Okay, that's good. It'll do what it needs to do. The materials cost is still your steel chassis with a plastic or aluminum or steel front and so on and so forth. Tempered glass is not a big cost letter anymore. It's, it's Even for the – because it is a significant weight difference. Though. It's a weight difference, but you're still, you're, your volume is your constraint on shipment on, on cases for the most part. Weight is not really a concern unless you're talking about, like, making the entire chassis out of marble or something. Um, but – uh, which we don't have any plans to do at this point. Um, <laughs> as long as it starts so, to be marble. I don't want to yeah. see that, like, Corsair announces marble case on PC World Live. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I think that that's the real thing that we have to think about is that for most people, the majority of customers, like a, a 275R case that we sell, which is one of our best-selling cases, is, like, enough. It does what they need it to do, and it looks great. And so the question of, like, why would they spend 149 or 159 well, we have to come up with a new value proposition at that point because it's not like it used to be, oh, it's bigger, so you can put more stuff in it. Well, that's not always the thing that people care about anymore. Mm-hmm. So now it's about premium materials and finishes and functionality, adding, like we said, um, software-controllable RGB stuff and things like that that some people want and some people don't. Um, just to give you guys you know, opinion, every time we've launched a, the exact same case with and without RGB, even if there's like a $50 price difference, the RGB one outsells the non-RGB one every single huh, time. Interesting wow. fact, yeah. internet. So huh. when, people, when people come to me and be like, oh, I love that case and I would, I would buy it if it was 40 bucks cheaper and not RGB, they won't. I mean, you might, but there are 10 guys who wouldn't buy that. So, huh. The you silent know, majority. The silent Thank majority. It's, I know it's hard to believe, but like the guys who you know, read the enthusiast forums and read the enthusiast review sites like PC World and, and get all into the weeds on that are not like the, the core base middle yeah. of that bell curve. They're on the top end of that where they're more experienced. You know? RGB is tremendously popular, right? It is immensely popular. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. Like, you know, People like the shiny things. Spoiler alert, companies like to make money, and <laughs> RGB makes money. So we're going to be doing that until... So I can set the green by default. Yeah, not here you can't. No, you can't. You're right. (laughs) There's another company you could do that, but not here. Uh, You know, I I do want to ask, uh, because this person sort of alludes to it earlier, but it used to be that sort of that mid-range case was the most popular, but the last few years have really sorted out into, you know, 
$80 case and lower. The bifurcated market. Yeah, and then like $500 and up. That's just yeah. Yeah. What's happened to that middle ground? I don't... Well, it's interesting. So when you see in volume... You're probably right. Like, you know, there's a huge amount of, like, like I said, the 275R case is under 100 bucks, and we sell a lot of those. Um, but when you actually look at it by kind of revenue and say, like, for example, a 500D that we sell and the Crystal Series 680X, which we also sell, those are $200 cases. And those cases, from a revenue perspective, are really close. Oh, they, okay. they don't, they're not that far apart. So, yeah, it costs twice as much. Um, and maybe it doesn't sell. Uh, the same number one to one, but it sells enough to be viable okay. from a business perspective. Sometimes it just feels like it's like you either go like Toyota Corolla or all out Lexus, you know, whatever. Right. Line Lexus. Well, and, and the other side of this is also you got to remember like when you're looking at, so you go to, let's say for argument's sake, Reddit, and you go to build a PC and you see what people are building systems. You go to PC part picker and you see what the system builds are there. You got to remember that like a guy like me who I am. I've been building PCs for 20 years, and if I were to build a PC tomorrow, I would go buy a 500D or something similar to that, build a really nice PC. I'm not going to take photos of it and put it on PC Part Picker. I got three kids. I got other stuff going on in my life. <laughs> when I was 25, uh, I was taking pictures of my water-cooled case and all that stuff, my Silverstone case that I had because we didn't sell cases when I was 25. So like <laughs> my Silverstone <laughs> TJ07 that I had, I took pictures of that. It was loaded up with all the cool stuff that I had. And I posted pictures on, on, you know, on forums at the, on Extreme Systems or on Hard OCP or whatever it was at the time. And I was chatting about people and trying to get like, street cred for that because that was what I was passionate about. So now it's like, okay, so the guy like me who's buying that super high-end stuff not all of not all of us have enough time to brag about our stuff. Whereas you know the the kind of entry level or second level or third level guys who are building the third or fourth systems, those guys are totally excited. They just yeah. spent a bunch of money. They just built their system. So you're you're getting a disproportionate number. The people who talk about stuff online and the people who are buying stuff are not identical. So you get a kind of interesting. It depends on where you look, right? So if I go look in the PC World comments, like if I look at this chat stream, yeah, yeah. it's going to be way different than if I look at the you know build a PC subreddit or the PC Master Race subreddit, or the, the PC uh, part picker uh, comment sections. Those audiences are not the same guys. I do envy those those high ambition builds, though, because it's like, God, I wish I had that. You know, because you got three kids, I have kids too, but it's, it's, you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. It's like when you like talk to your, your bachelor friends, like, oh, you're going where? Are you going to Vegas for the weekend? <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. going to Europe again right. this year, right. guys. Well, let's not go <laughs> to Every, Europe. Everyone, nice. everyone goes, oh, you're going to see? Yes, that sounds so much fun. Las Vegas, huh? Oh, and I'm like, god. oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you want to go for me? Oh, my uh, God. I, yeah, yeah, it's in Vegas. <laughs> right. I don't want to be there. Las Vegas in January. Yeah. It's like it's a place uh, I don't like going at a time I don't like being there. I, I, I am, July, man. But I am jealous of those people with those beautiful machines. It's like, wow, that's just like, I wish I had... Those that, that energy level still. Oh, I watch. I go to like the art <laughs> battle station subreddit yeah. and look at these yeah. guys with the like quad monitor setups yeah. and these amazing yeah. desks. And you're just like, that is so cool. But you know, like six minutes after they took that photo, there was like Cheetos on the keyboard and like <laughs> an empty Mountain Dew bottle. Like I'm actually, I have, when I built my system last year, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting this. I'm doing it nice. I'm gonna take a picture. I'm gonna tweet it. You know, all that stuff. But then, like, I went to go take a picture. I'm like, the rest of my desk is covered in lighters. It has paper. It has my wallet. There's no way I'm putting this on social media anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> right, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears on you because right. you're somebody who has design cases. Sure. That means you work with ATX. You've your entire life has been with ATX. Aren't you getting a little sick of ATX? I'm waiting for us to switch to BTX. I mean, I remember. Well, that's not going to happen. Come on, man. We flip it upside down. We call it a day. It's good. That's all we need. That's BTX. You know, the funny thing about BTX. Look it up for those of you guys who've never heard of BTX. Well, BTX, 
I was actually behind BTX. In hindsight, it was wrong because if you looked at, (laughs) well, I mean, clearly it was wrong. I was pro changing things. No, I I was pro changing (laughs) things because the you know the big thing is it moved the Southridge PCH up near the IO shield, which is where you plug everything instead of running these you know eight inch routes. Uh, And it also got better airflow to the CPU because at the the time and the the GPU a little bit. But if you were to build a machine today, if you were to redesign a spec today, CTX. You would design around GPU cooling. Absolutely. Right, because you don't need to get the cooling that you do to the CPU anymore. Well, although well that's I mean, you're a 95, 105 watt TDP for most, you know, the, the Ryzen stuff and the, the new Core i9, 9900 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you're going to be at 160 or whatever for the, the big thread rippers and stuff and maybe 200 when you overclock them and stuff like that. I wouldn't, I would think that that's important. But the other thing is, is that you can, afford, you can put a, a Hydro Series cooler, like you can put a really good big air cooler or a big water cooler on your CPU and get 150 watt heat dissipation pretty easily. GPUs have to be double slot or you know some of the big monster things like the triple slots, but they're really tight space constraints. You can't easily put a giant radiator on your 250 watt you know uh, uh, 2080 Ti. So I think that that's the con- that's the real concern is that they have to cool that much heat in a much much smaller space, right. and that's the challenge. So how do you get if you were to design from scratch today? The answer would be like, how do I cool 250 watts in you know two inches vertical by 10 inches length or whatever it is? I think that's a challenge that you have to figure out as all. Well. But if I remember right, even BTX, because you know the memory basically is a great big wind wall, so yeah. it blocks the airflow to your CPU to a lot of your components. Um, BTX actually flipped that vertical so the air would flow along through the memory. It yeah. was it was in line with the memory. I'm not, I'm not saying go to BTX, which is clearly a failure. But what I'm saying is, like, maybe the industry is just like, hey, and especially case designers, because I hear the, one of the big resistance from case designers, because, like, look, we've, we've got to do all kinds of new tooling. Of course, this is 1990s thinking. But if we did a new spec, you could, jealous here, Apple's put memory on the back of the motherboard on the mm. new Mac Pro, which is actually, what the hell? You know, you get out of the way, and you could redesign a modern PC with a new spec that is in line with all today's so hardware if you, needs. if you came to me and said, like, George, redefine motherboard specifications for optimal thermals for 2020, then, yeah, I wouldn't be using AT. It's not what the design would be. Right. But I don't have uh, the muscle that Intel does or that AMD does to go in and do that. And And quite honestly, like, there is a case to be made that like it's diminishing returns yes. like okay so you save yourself four watts or you save yourself you know three inches on this or th- you know whatever but the, you've got this giant infrastructure from the motherboard guys and, and everybody else on the, the tooling and the logistics and everything all the way through and it's like okay so we make this change but what's the benefit if you're apple and you're creating a mac pro sure. it makes some sense because you you're custom anyway nobody's upgrading the motherboard in their mac pro no, like no, that's no, not no, happening they're not upgrading much they come and arrest <laughs> you if you do that yeah like, exactly like <laughs> you go to apple prison yeah um <laughs> Which looks exactly like an Apple store, ironically. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. Uh, but they have a little wireless collar you have to wear. Um, but, uh, uh, and by the way, I have an iPhone and an I- Apple Watch. I'm yeah. an Apple fan. I, just, I like to give them a lot hard time. But uh, um, I think that it's interesting when you actually sit down and talk about what you could. Yeah, of course we could save space. Of course we could make it more thermal, thermal efficient. But how much... Yeah, and how? What do we really save by doing it, and how much is going to cost us to get there? That's disappointing, George. That's just disappointing. I want to hear. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. HD DVDs. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do HD DVDs. <laughs> HD DVD player. Yeah, that was a sad one too. That was sad. <laughs> that was, everyone was sad about that. Yes. Well, not the Blu-ray guys, I guess. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, should we get to some uh, some questions? Oh yeah, one. Uh, yeah, I still have many answers. questions. He for has Dorf. so many questions. Yeah, I have so like many we questions. Have, like right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you, know. Uh, you know what? You can you can chime in with some of your questions. Uh, you know, uh, for sure. All right, here's like, my f- here's my first. All right, one. first first question. Uh, well, real quick, I'll or say you uh, if if you want to get in on some of these questions, go to our uh, Discord. Link to it in the uh, the description. You can definitely get some uh, some questions in there in our Full Nerd Questions channel. So. Do that, Gordon. So the first question coming in is from Gordon. First question is for Gordon. Uh, for Gordon. First time or, yeah. listener, first from. time caller. Uh, I only believe in air coolers. I think they're more reliable and have fewer parts. And I don't understand <laughs> why anybody thinks a all-in-one CLC closed-loop cooler is better. Because air cooler is better. In what way? Convince me I'm wrong. All right. Ship that case <laughs> across country three times. You mean with my 12-pound air, air, air cooler yeah. on there? When you have your four and a half pounds of copper and aluminum and fans stuck to a two, like four little holes in a, a six-layer PCB and UPS hucks it off the back of a truck, well, tell, tell me your air cooler is better. Now, I'm not going to be, you know, <laughs> air coolers are very, very good at what they do. They, if you're going to build a system for yourself, uh, an air cooler can be a really good solution. They're, uh, I mean, they're, what's the, the engine joke to make another car announce? There's no replacement for displacement, yes. right? Like, yeah. it's the same type of thing. It's a giant hunk of metal attached to your heat source. It's going to cool things well. That's what it does. Um, the reason that closed loop coolers became popular was not because they were necessarily better thermally. They were about on par or slightly better, depending. Um, but because that it looked better. It didn't take up so much room inside your case. You got to see the rest of it. You paid 400 bucks for that motherboard, and you're going to cover it with a $70 air cooler? Come on. So I want to see this awesome motherboard I spent all the money on. I want to see the, re- the memory I spent all the money on. And I don't want to have to... If I want to get in there and, and replace a power supply cable because my power supply died, I don't want to have to disassemble my entire PC. I can just reach in and unconnect it. So, you know, a little 2-inch by 2-inch closed-loop cooler pump on top of your CPU is much more aesthetically pleasing than three pounds of copper and aluminum to a lot of people um that's not to say that that you know some of the new air coolers don't really look cool like some of them look really nice you know and i say that as a company we don't sell air coolers but uh some of them are really cool looking and they look nice in your case and if you're never going to ever work inside the case and you're never going to ship it sure go nuts um but personally but george you know, since we've done that i've you, used you, h100 or something. Uh, they they're leaking everywhere all over the place you know like all of them all of them yeah. All yeah. The like Constantly. the failure rates at least percent like, failure rate. yeah yeah it's crazy There's, yeah it's it's actually we have more returns than we've ever sold units i don't know where they're coming from <laughs> people are just they're literally multiplying he's joking, in the field he's joking like, Andy, yeah Andy, this Andy, is Andy. not true um <laughs> No, um, the failure rate on those things is immensely tiny. Um, and we have a policy internally where if it leaks inside your case and, you know, you send us photos and stuff and it proves that we killed your video card, we'll replace the video card for you, we'll replace the motherboard for you because that's we stand behind the product on the warranty. Um, and we know people are, unco- the people are concerned about the idea of a leak, right? Um, you know, for argument's sake, there's liquid inside heat pipes, too. It's not going to be – you'd have to really do some work to puncture it with the, the, the fluid out of a heat pipe into your <laughs> graphics card. But it's, th- it's theoretically possible. So, you know, if you really did some work, you could let the, the juice out of a heat pipe and kill your graphics card. Oh, okay. I wouldn't do – I wouldn't expect that has ever really happened. I mean, I'm sure there's some guy online who's like, yeah, it happened to me. But, <laughs> yeah, it's probably like five guys. Somebody somewhere. <laughs> Somebody. Yeah, they told you but I, I personally think the benefit of closed-loop liquid cooling is – it's physically smaller for the similar cooling performance. 
Uh, it's more aesthetically pleasant in general. You can it, it definitely offers that functionality, and I think it's more granular. You can you can go in in software and adjust fan speed profiles. You can adjust lighting aesthetics and stuff like that, and you can do all that stuff right there. I mean, we can even set since 2011, you've been able to set the lights on the pump cap to be thermal monitoring, so they change color based on temperature. So if you're in a game and your CPU hits a thermal number, the thing can flash red at you. So you just know just by looking at your window, suddenly it's like an actual functional thing. And of just aesthetics now mm-hmm. i'm sure 90 percent of people don't do that but you can and that's something that's nice i don't know of a lot of air coolers that offer that functionality there's probably a couple out there um well speaking of software we've had a lot of people in the chat today during the show talk about iq uh and that they're they're having problems with it uh there, there's one question in specifically but uh, i think you know is there anything you want to address uh just at the overall iq software problems um, can you be more specific? <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I you can't I've just got, ask me like, tell me about the problems. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, the, the, like everybody has uh, kind of different problems. One guy saying it's stuck on uh, like a single lighting source and they can't change it. Another one saying that uh, it's slowing down their system, that it's it's hogging up too much resource. Uh, it's kind of, I'm, you know, I mean, I can go back and look at specific yeah. ones if you um, want. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get into the weeds on like software troubleshooting for individual end users right now. I think that that will bore the other 99,000 people watching the stream. But uh, um, we can definitely help all those guys. We have support that can help those guys. We do have, I mean, like I'll be paint with a wide brush. Software is insanely complicated. Um, there's no way of knowing how software interacts with the other software you might be running. And everyone has a unique software situation. Like nobody has the exact same 11 apps on their PC, right? Everyone has some weird app that nobody else has in combination with some variant of another app. And then, you know, IQ is on 3.19120 this week. And uh, we may have updated that. And there's some inadvertent conflict with some other thing that's going on. We it's really really tough. We update IQ monthly, uh, constantly, just like Nvidia updates their drivers and, and everybody. And we're trying constantly to remove any conflicts and bugs we have. But you know the law of unintended consequences is is constant with software of every type. So um, I would say that IQ is better than it's ever been. It's gotten compared to where it was you know a couple of years ago. It's it's grown tremendously. Um, it is still not just putting on my Corsair hat. It is still the most functional software that does all the stuff that uh, it does. Nothing else does what IQ does in that level of detail. It can control your keyboard and your power supply, which I don't know of any other software that can do all that. Um, but it is on the double-edged sword of that. It is a really complicated piece of software um, to code. So we have to maintain that level of functionality every revision and test every single thing. Does that, does that add to the difficulty? Because, I mean... I can't think of you right. I mean, you're talking from keyboard to your fans to your cooler to your your power L- LEDs to your power supply. That's a lot. I mean, I can set. I can in IQ. I can go in and set any key on my keyboard to change color based on how much power my power supply is outputting. If I wanted to, yeah. Um, I don't know why you would do that, but maybe you care deeply about the 12 volt rail to your sure. graphics card changing the four key on your keyboard <laughs> only when you know certain circumstances, and then crank up the front fan 100 percent to accommodate for that. And you can do that in IQ. Um, like I said, it's corner case stuff, but I like having that option. I right. like having that flexibility with my PC. If I want to do that, I can. Um, 
And and the other side of it is we can integrate with the the game integration stuff. So when you know we have all the stuff that's happened when we when Far Cry Five launched and, and Division Two and all these other games launched, where we can integrate um, the gaming lighting profiles so that you have ambient lighting in this immersion. So when you're playing the game, you know what happens in the game changes all the lights, not just on your keyboard like some of the other guys, but also in the PC. So like if your PC is on your desk, which let's be fair, if you spent two grand plus on a PC, you're probably putting it on your desk and not on the floor. Um, so you have it on your desk, you have your big window, the tempered glass with all your lighting inside there. And now it's like, it's actually adding some kind of ambient lighting and, and immersion to it as opposed to just being, you know, strictly aesthetic. So I think that adds some benefit to it. And I think that that's something we are focusing on expanding and, and doubling down on. Um, if you want to know what the roadmap for IQ looks like, the overall answer is more stable and, uh, easier to use. That's what we're trying to do is make it more and more stable and easier to use every generation, every version of it. Uh, I do have a, a follow up question. Uh, this one comes in on the, the folder discord, uh, from soul est. Um, Nope, I'm sorry. It's from uh, Master Procrastinator. Great name. Uh, are there any plans for a light version of IQ software? There's some talk about performance impact on IQ recently. It would be nice to have a lightweight alternative to control just a few LEDs in your keyboard or mice instead of a 350 megabyte download that also needs to keep running in the background. Uh, I can look into that. I don't know. I, I can't really talk about unannounced products or features and stuff coming forward. I think that's not a bad idea to just say, hey, if all you care about is being able to change the lights, then maybe just having no pun intended, but IQ light or something that just does that <laughs> uh, would not be a bad idea. But um, I can't I can't discuss if it's planned or not, but it's not a bad plan. And, um, <clears throat> another thing that concerning IQ is Windows Store. You actually said you played with the idea of you guys had put it into the Windows Store. So yeah, so like <laughs> we, <laughs> that was a funny thing I think Brad mentioned earlier, right? Um, <laughs> we were talking about how uh, um, at one point we had added the driver to the Windows Update because um, IQ has the firmware and driver updates for all the keyboards, mice, headsets, power supplies, uh, coolers, all that stuff. So for example, Windows 10 Update comes out with a new way of addressing USB, and then it kills USB compatibility with the cooler, and now you can't change the speed of your fans because of the new Windows Update game. Um, you would have to go manually to Corsair's website, download IQ and everything like that. To, and then it would update the driver, the USB driver for your pump on your hydro cooler so you could change that manually. And we kind of thought like it'd be cool if that was, you know, prompted users, hey, do you want to install IQ to update the drivers? Um, we did that, uh, I think it was only for like a week or two. Uh, but the feedback was pretty negative <laughs> that you guys didn't want that done, so we pulled it. Like it's like, okay, well, didn't want to be reminded by Windows Update to install IQ because the idea of installing software that you don't want is you know the concept of it being quote unquote bloatware and things like that. I get that. I, I don't agree with it, but if you guys don't want that in Windows Update, we'll pull the, we pulled it from Windows Update. And we, I mean, my goal is theoretically, I want to make it so that it's completely transparent to you guys what is happening and where, so that there's no like miscommunication there's no secret stuff going on we're not sending data back we're not you know we're not stealing your information or anything like that this is just a way for you to control the hardware you bought from us sure. and to make sure that it's updated and incompatible and working the way it's supposed to be working all the time so that was what we wanted to get done and we thought that would be a uh, effective method turned out not to be because uh, you guys didn't like the methodology so we pulled it and we're going to always look at improving that in the future but you know it's funny because i i think we talked about this a little earlier like I, in the, during a recent CPU review, I had to update an ASUS board with a clean OS. I was pleasantly surprised to have it, you know, ask me if I want to install a ASUS Loot Crate, I think. So it's basically their, you know, Windows update 
driver install. It, it downloaded the, the applet, and then the applet went out and it checked all the drivers that I needed for this board, and it went out and got the correct latest driver that Asus had pushed out. Yeah. And that is just so much easier to me like than to, to go to right. Asus's website, so, download 50 different files, and install each of them by hand. I think that that's the right answer is to like make that an opt-in, though. Yeah. Like that's the that's what I would like to find a way is like I would I would opt in every second. Like if for me, I'm going to have IQ installed in my system because almost everything in my system is Corsair. Um, we have a really good employee discount. Uh, so <laughs> so like almost all my stuff is, is Corsair. So IQ controls all of it. Right. So I know my system is going to have IQ installed anyway. I would click that checkbox that says, hey, automatically download and update all my hardware because I just want that to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, but making that an opt in instead of an opt out is probably the right answer. So that it's not an opt in by default; it's an opt out by default, and you have to manually say yes, please do this. Right. I think that's that's my personal opinion. It does not represent the views necessarily of Corsair, but I think that if anyone asks me, like, "Hey, what do you think?" That's the answer: is I think opt in should be the de- the the option for default. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and again, I'm I'm not surprised people got so angry. Right. I, mean, I every time I pick when I in the lab and I'd grab a Razor keyboard, I'd plug it in, you know, it automatically install Synapse, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But the problem with Synapse. And GeForce Experience is doesn't work till you log in. Yeah. So then you got to find your login. It was just yep. kind of. It'd be better if it just went in transparently and just worked, and you have to think about it. Synapse is annoying garbage. That's actually the conversation we were having earlier. <laughs> <laughs> just for I record, had to go I back into it to fix my mic for this, and <laughs> it wants to get updated twice a day. It seems like, and my mouse won't work unless I do it. So. Well, <laughs> I know a guy who can get you a new headset if you want. <laughs> it's the right. logging in that, that bugs me. Is I, I just don't like because then you'd be greeted like no functionality until you logged in, and that that that's what really annoys. Did you have to do that with IQ? it would just work automatically then for me yeah i mean there's you know iq has a million versions of it so the the current version for me for example 3.19 uh when you install it it basically goes through and sees what connection devices are on the usb bus if there's anything on the sm bus like memory uh so if i have dominator platinums or vengeance pros that are controllable uh, it goes and checks the sm bus for that uh and then i can go into iq and all those devices just show up right there and if there's a firmware update it tells you hey you know your headset has a firmware update would you like to apply it or not um, or and when IQ updates, I have it set to say, you know, tell me when there's an update and I'll click the update button. And so it tells me there's, oh, 3.20 came out next week or whatever it is. And then you can roll into that. So for me, it's pretty clean the way it works okay. now. But I like the way, like you mentioned, the Asus method for motherboard stuff. You remember back in the day when, you know, before even CDs, you'd get floppy disks oh, yeah. with all the drivers. And you'd have one for the Ethernet driver and one for the, the you know, whatever drivers and, and USB drivers and stuff like that. And then, you know, if you lost the, the Intel chipset driver, then nothing was showing up. And Device Manager was just a host of yellow check marks. You right. Know? So, and I mean, like, now it's like, okay, I'm glad Windows 10 has most default drivers in it. And then when I get a new motherboard, if I throw in, uh, uh, if I download the software from Asus's website uh, or Gigabyte or whoever's website and I run it, it just automatically detects what motherboard I have and You're installs done. all the stuff. I don't have to go through and detect if I have the, like, do I have the Hero or the Extreme? Yeah. Like, it just automatically. What I, and, of course, what I really like is, like, which driver do I install? And then, you know, the date codes are a little bit different, and they yeah. have all of them. So you're like, which one do I? It's My it's, favorite thing still, and the motherboard vendors have gotten a lot better about this, but now, like, I guess not BIOS anymore, UEFI, but in the, the BIOS, I'm still going to call it BIOS. Yeah, I know. In the BIOS of yeah, every motherboard, you know, there's a lot of features, and some vendors have their own names for the same thing. So, like, you want to change DRAM clocks, for example, which we have to do a lot for, you know, Corsair, obviously. There, that, that is a host of, like, 30 different settings. 
that is not shared across vendors. So you have to remember, like, oh, to change command rate on a gigabyte board is this and that. So I would love for them to, to, to standardize that at some point. I would also love for the description, like in the, in the description field of what it does, you know, it'll say something like, you know, you know, maximum boost enabled or disabled. And you look in the description, it's like enables or disables maximum boost. I'm like, okay, what is, <laughs> what is maximum boost? This does not help me. Can you please define that for me? So I would love to see that path forward, motherboard vendors, if you would like to take care of that for us. They have the room now, too, because those, U- those UFIs can be really advanced. Well, yeah, I mean, just the fact that you've been able to use a mouse in it for, like, four years now, five years now, as opposed to keyboard only and, and, keyboard have, only and BIOS mode or whatever. And some of them have Ethernet stacks. You right. should be able to just link you to the YouTube video to explain it, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's I mean, at some point, we'll see that, right? Uh, it'll show up with a video that's a, a guy explaining how the BIOS works and, like, professionally produced, and they'll probably hire, like, you or Linus <laughs> to do it. Or Jay. Well, Somebody. we work cheaper, so. That's <laughs> <laughs> up, Gigabyte. Gordon needs a couple bucks. Yeah, we're like, ah, oh, we can't afford that. We can't get the high. We can't get any stars in here. Who's you free? Might have, you Who's might have Gordon. You might actually have more street cred on BIOS adjustment than Linus. Does, so no. I think there's that. They're too. They're way too. Uh, they're like, yeah, too classy. Too classy. Too classy for that. We gotta. Get something people can relate to. Yeah. Well, here's four minutes of Gordon talking about command rate. Let's talk about, uh, let me tell you about command rate after we talk about Star Trek, the next generation <laughs> episode 57. Uh, somebody asked earlier, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't able to catch your name because the uh, chat is scrolling by. Uh, but I, I, I was wondering also uh, your future plans for Elgato uh, now that they've been uh, part of the Corsair family. Um, I'm interested. I'm interested. Just to maybe expand that a bit. Yeah. The whole concept of Corsair buying both Elgato and Origin PC. After you talk specifically about Orgato, Elgato, I was wondering if you could mm-hmm. talk about why y'all are doing all that. I think we'd like to dominate the entire planet, and the first step <laughs> is to, you know, acquire a number of smaller companies, uh, much like bacteria. We just kind of grow. <laughs> like now, um, yeah. now, from a business perspective, I think you know. So I'll talk the big picture first, and then I'll talk about Elgato second. So the big picture is obviously. When we started, we were selling. Mem- when I started here, we sold memory, and like within six months, we were selling USB drives. And then I started arguing we should sell power supplies because the only guys selling good power supplies were like two guys, and, and they weren't getting it right. And so we started selling power supplies. And then um, we, you know, went into the drawing board on cases because we noticed that there was a, a big market in between, like a high end Silverstone case and like a lower end, you know, case that was mostly plastic and stuff. We felt like there was a some of the functionality features weren't being made in the high premium material, so we felt like we could mix the two. Uh, and then on cooling, and then on, you know, we looked at keyboards and mice and headsets, and we thought we could do better there. And so we've started basically saying, okay, starting from the memory modules that are in the PC, what in that guy's life does it attach to? And what could we do better? Um, and so we started doing that. And so once we got into most of the things that are on the desk, and like we looked at it and said, eh, video cards, motherboards, processors. We're not going to be Intel, so we're not going to do processors. Motherboards, probably not. There's a bunch of guys who do motherboards really, really well. Um, video cards, eh, probably not. Uh, everything else makes total sense to do. And then it's like, okay, well, next up is, hey, streaming became really, really popular. And so you go to the drawing board and you say, what if we wanted to do streaming? You have to do video encoding cards and capture cards, and you have to do uh, other types of streaming devices and, and things like that, uh, stream deck type devices. And it, it, when you actually get down in the weeds on it, it's like, we could do this ourselves, start from scratch, hire a bunch of guys, and spend five years doing it, or you can just buy Elgato. Um, and when we were smaller, we didn't have the choice, right? You didn't ha- when we were small, we didn't have enough money to go buy Silverstone or something like that. Um, so it wasn't really an option. 
Um, but now as you're big enough where, you know, power supply money and, and keyboard money is keeping the lights on, so to speak, um, you can kind of say, well, either we spend five years doing it or we buy the guy who did it right already. And I think uh, Elgato, for, for sure, because they've been here a year now, those guys are rock solid. They're literally a, a, an absolute perfect match for me because they did nothing we do and we do nothing they do. So they just added to everything we do. There wasn't like any duplication of effort, really. It's not like they had an entire case division where we had to decide whose case is going to get on the roadmap. It was like they have streaming stuff. We have PC, you know, specific performance stuff, and it was a it was a perfect complement. Um, and the origin stuff it seems to make perfect sense too, because yeah, well, we have had a Corsair One and a couple other PCs like systems that we've sold. Um, the origin guys have been doing this a long time. Um, Kevin and those guys are really solid dudes. I've known Kevin. I've met him a couple uh, a few times. I met him at like PAX in like 2012 or something like that. So I mean, these guys are uh, really solid guys. I've always liked their approach to it, which is not to go, you know, super chintzy gamer and definitely do more high-end performance. And so that matched my personal preference. So when we, you know, when I when I found out that they were, we were looking at doing that, I was like, well, that's awesome. That's fantastic. And that, I think, is a nice compliment as well because it works two ways. It gives them better distribution because we have worldwide distribution for Elgato, for example. So, you know, you can go buy Elgato stuff in Best Buy and places like that. Um, and they'll be able to buy them worldwide in a bunch of different places where you couldn't before. Um, which is nice. So it brings Elgato's distribution better. It uh, gives them a little bit better resources on the R&D side. So, you know, when you're a smaller company um, like Elgato, you have to pick and choose, you know, hey, we have three great ideas, but we don't have enough resources to do one. Well, if Corsair has your back, now you have enough resources to do all three great ideas. And you don't have to worry about, you know, Avermedia coming out with your second idea while you were working on your first. So if you have three great ideas, let's just implement those three great ideas. Um, so that's the benefit for Elgato, I think, is just getting them the resources to do. They have a bunch of great idea guys um, on the engineering side and the marketing side already, like their product management team and and their tech marketing guy and and uh, even the the uh, Julian, the the guy who runs the company there, and Ricardo and stuff. Those guys are, are rock solid guys, and having them involved um, on the product development side and coming up with the great products. We basically are kind of hands off and just saying, all right, well, what are you guys doing and what do you need to get it done? And where do you want us to sell it for you? And that effectively is how we run that side of things, I think, from a business perspective. So from those of you guys who like streaming and like Elgato product, I think that um, for the most part, it's stuff like, you know, they launched Keylight last year. Um, they had the new green screens come out. Um, Stream Deck, Stream Deck XL, Stream Deck Mini, the Stream Deck app that's on your phone and stuff. All of those things are great ideas. Um, if we hadn't had the resources to help them implement them, you might not have seen all of them in the same year. You might have only seen one or two of those things. So they've had the now they have the resources to do five or six things in a year instead of two or three. Nice. Uh, next question uh, I got on the Discord from uh, Paskowitz. Uh, he's asking about uh, everyone, including your uh, George, thoughts on the ultralight mouse wars. You know, <laughs> like the, the final mouse? Oh. Yeah, the, the lightest mouse you can get. I was impressed. I tried a uh, Cooler Master had one that I messed around with. At Computex. First time I've ever tried a light mouse because I've always been a heavy mouse person. I was like, I think I, I think I could really go for it. I think it just goes to the fads. Like, I felt really good, but maybe it's just because it was so different. And it didn't trigger that phobia of, uh, like, the, <laughs> the holes. Yeah, the, yeah. it's like tri- tryptophobia or yeah. triophobia well, or something. Like, I can't remember. It's fear of the number 13, but it's something oh, like okay. that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, that's Only number 13? There is, a, there is a phobia of the number 13. It's Some guy in the chat will correct me. It's, I think it's <laughs> tryptodecophobia or something like that. 
Anyway, well, ultra ultralight mice, uh, Elena, do you like it? You haven't have tried you ever it? tried one? <laughs> no? <laughs> so for audio listeners, I'm shrugging. <laughs> I have to use ergonomic equipment, uh, so I don't okay. get to... Uh, hey, when are you guys coming out with RGB ergonomic? Oh, <laughs> yes. Hey, I use, I use a Ken- Kensington so, like, track I ball. Have, like, like one of those vertical... Like, like, like a vertical ones, or like I have like a roller ball type thing. So it's like... A it, track ball? Like, no, it's like a track ball pr- uh, in principle, but they took it and they made like a long like cylinder, and you use that instead like a rolling pin yeah kind of but kind really, of yeah really really, really small diameter think, right? and Isn't i it? and i am a diehard trackball fan and he what loves trackball what yeah. is that thing called i've never even heard of that what uh gosh why is the name escaping me suddenly oh, okay. i think it's just called a roller mouse that's weird yeah so yeah, yeah every time the it guy comes he used to come by my desk oh, wow. he would freak out because he's like crazy. i don't know how to use this and i'm like no no it's actually pretty intuitive but you would buy an rgb <laughs> this looks like oh hell yes this looks like what, <laughs> what, what the mouse the would look like if no one had invented the actual mouse like this looks like <laughs> 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 like if if, no, if if they hadn't ripped off the idea from xerox in like 1975 <laughs> this is what we would all be using right now yeah. that's crazy that's so if i could get like an rgb version of that i would totally be down rgb version i would not hold my breath for that i know but uh i think that the as far as ergonomics go i think from uh, most of what we're focused on right now is gaming product um we don't really look into this standard right currently we don't look into the standard kind of office or corporate oh, or ergonomic side of things so if there's a widely used gaming product like if for example if the shark fin style mouse the the vertical mice become much more popular with i don't know league of legends players or something like that uh then we'll look at that um so to tie into like the final mouse thing, the lightweight, those are becoming really, really popular for guys who do fast twitch movement, right? Super light mouse, they can mm-hmm. move really quickly. Um, I think we're keeping our options open and looking at that. We didn't want to just you know copy-paste somebody else's design. That's not, I mean, despite what internet uh, comments say, it's not our business practice. It's to just look at somebody else's thing and copy it and then just make put a Corsair logo on it and call it a day. <laughs> That's not really a business plan that we do. Um, so we, if we can't make something better, then we try and figure out, you know, how do you kill that product by doing something else? Um, and so uh, sometimes it is literally just, you know, okay, well, there someone got the product near perfect, and we're just going to tweak this one or two things and then put our version out and hope it works. Um, other times it's, you know, the problem they're trying to solve is the mouse is light, uh, the mouse is too heavy, they want to make a really light mouse. Maybe there's ways of doing that that don't include putting a thousand holes in it. You know, yeah, um, that's the deal breaker for me personally. How come? Nope, you don't have. A, I eat at my desk. So do I. <laughs> Again, the joke of it filling with Cheeto dust like ten seconds. The holes that you shake yeah. the food out of the mouse. That's, then it's a, the then point. it's a flavor that's shaker a for ramen later. You just turn it upside down. Gordon would do this. I just want to say, taking one of those roller pin mice and studying that thing full of those Capilex lights, though. Oh yeah, that's uh, a better idea. Because they are light, I bet too. Thanks for backing me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you know, my I, think, I think it is fair to bring that up because, you know, when you talk about back in the day before Corsair made uh, cases, I think, you know, you basically had very high end Silverstone, of course, is one of the bigger brands. Cooler Master had some high end cases too. Mm-hmm. And then you had sort of like budget cases. But even at the very high end, uh, cable management was terrible. Right. So, and like, that, that, am I wrong? I give yeah. credit to Corsair. A lot of the work of Robert Pierce. Who, you know, a lot of people in the stream don't know who he right. is. But I give a lot of the credit to Robert Pierce for think making cases with that are thought ahead for case one. So Robert Pierce and I. Uh, Robert Pierce, for those of you guys who don't know, he George's ran, like I did it all. Robert, <laughs> Robert, Robert doesn't know anything. No, um, Robert is was my boss. He hired me when I started here. He ran the lab, uh, the applications lab, which is now called Tech Marketing. Um, well, it's split, but it, anyway, long story just boring. Um, but basically, 
Robert Pierce ran the lab, which did kind of what tech marketing and, and the DBT verifications lab does now. And effectively, what we had to do is build all the systems for trade shows. Like if we were going to go to CES and we had to show off memory in a system, um, I had to build the memory system, you know. And so we were building all these systems. And at the time, when I first started, we started using some like Antec cases. Um, but eventually we moved, and some Lee and Lee cases, and eventually we moved to Silverstone cases because I really, really, really liked the TGO7 and TGO9 cases that they did. Um, but you're right, the cable routing was atrocious. Like, the build quality and aesthetics were fantastic. It was like the, the TGO7, if you guys have never seen it, is like a giant extruded hunk of aluminum that's five millimeters thick that's curved into a U-shape, and then a backplate made of, like, you know, aluminum as well. And then a motherboard tray, and this whole thing was like metal and just ridiculous and like empty. It weighed like fifty pounds. And uh, when we built it, it was great. It looked fantastic. But then you know, actually trying to connect the power supply cables and stuff like that was a, a nightmare. So we thought like, well, what would we do to improve this? It's like, well, let's keep the aesthetic of black aluminum, and then cut some holes in this motherboard tray so we could run cables behind the motherboard. Um, for those of you guys who remember, like the motherboard standoffs that are like, you know, what are they like a centimeter tall right. or so? We had to run all power supply cables between the motherboard and the and the motherboard tray in that one centimeter space. So you and would pray you didn't yeah break pray you the didn't brain. Win yeah. it, and pray you didn't like puncture one of the wires and yeah. like oh no we punctured the twelve volt line all the way up. Um, but yeah, so we were doing that back in the day to keep the cable routing clean. So we put okay, what if we put it behind the motherboard tray and then little things like. How would it be easier to install fans? How would it be like tool-free hard drive installation so you don't have to use screws? You know, you don't use six screws to install a single hard drive or something. So all these different things we tried to improve the use case. Because our, our philosophy when we started was we were building a lot of systems for trade shows, and it was taking forever. How could we do that faster? So it was really selfish, really. It was oh, like, I see. We just wanted a case we could do a really good idea internally. And then it was like, well, I think there's enough people that would want this. Um, that we could sell it. So we we sold the 800D, the first case, and it, it, it way exceeded expectations. Um, and so then it was just a matter of, okay, let's keep going and kind of marry the high-end uh, uh, aesthetics and mechanical stuff to the the more use case practical things like installing uh, hard drives easier, getting better cooling. Every case we've ever shipped has been able to install a 240-millimeter radiator. Um, because we got in in 2008. So, you know, we were like, you know, there's no reason not to make it water cooling compatible out of the box. Even for like $49 cases, you could take out the hard drive bays and put a 240 in the front. And people would like, why would you want to do that? You, uh, hydro, a 240 millimeter hydro cooler is $120 or something. You're going to put that in a $49 case? Uh, yeah, go look it up. <laughs> Google image search it. There's a million people who would spend 120 bucks on a cooler and 49 bucks on a case. <laughs> Maybe not a million. But there's a, a surprising amount of people. Are, are, do you still put? Um, this is a, sorry, selfish question. Do you still put uh, routing for external cooling, or is that just like <laughs> the I think two that's little like holes for like the Nautilus 500? I think that's like yeah. signs of for old old timers. No, right? we that's, figured out we figured out you can do most of that inside the case. Okay. So <laughs> there's not a lot of guys. For those of you guys who remember, like the rad boxes and stuff that used to be because it was too small to fit a, a radiator inside the case so they put the radiator outside the case and run tubes out to it with soft tubing that's not really done so much anymore okay even though the performance is better because the thermals of the ca- the radiator being in the cooler outside your case are better hmm. uh, generally people kind of don't really want a giant hunk of aluminum full of water <laughs> hanging on their desk and you yeah. can dunk it in ice if you want yeah you could that's <laughs> another thing we've done before with nice to, to keep it uh keep cpus down low <laughs> I, I, I got FX, a question kind of building up all that uh, so like we were talking about earlier, man, like under a hundred dollar and under cases do 
everything you could expect out of cases that cost twice as much five years ago, right? Right. Like $100 cases will meet the basic needs of everybody else. Uh, where does case design go from here? What what else can we add to make cases more interesting? Is it all form and finish? Is it all RGB? Is it all aesthetics? Or it's, is there other things we could do? Not to give away the, the game, but it's all about problem solving. Like, what's the problem that a PC builder has today? Like, what are the problems? Mm-hmm. What are the things that, that ideally, what are the problems they're having that they maybe don't know that they have? That they, they would, as soon as they see that solution, I've always, I've always thought, the best ideas are the ones where the first time you see it, you go, oh, of course, right? Like that's anytime you see a really brilliant thing, you're like, oh man, I, I. so for, uh, not to bring Apple back into it, but the first time Steve Jobs did the keynote for the iPhone and he showed the, the phone showing the picture and he just pinched a zoom and, and pinched a, you know, everyone suddenly goes, oh my God, that's so logical. Of course, why would we do it? I have a two-year-old son who knows how to do that. Like he can do that on his iPad, right? So it's like, of course, that's a good idea. So I think that that's the trick is how to identify that problem that users are having today. So, you know, when it comes to things like we did little things like putting a, a, a center pin in the motherboard so that you can align the motherboard perfectly without having to screw all nine motherboard screws in at the same time. Um, so it just aligns by itself and you screw in eight of the nine screws and then you're fine. So I think that looking forward, you see things are making the use case easier. Um, anything that could solve the problem of cooling uh, and noise levels a little more cleanly. Um, and that ties down and get into the weeds on fan design, uh, get into the weeds on, you know, Hey, maybe the fan design for chassis that have glass fronts is different than the fan design for chassis that have mesh fronts. Um, maybe there's, uh, a, you know, a real smart case like server guys have this for decades now where you can go into a data center and it will optimize the cooling of each, you know, one U rack based on what the load is and temperature loads, and that's all being reported. There's software that runs it all, and they learn over time. Like, hey, um, this is this server for whatever reason runs two or three degrees hotter, so we're always going to keep that fan a little bit higher on that one because we know it gets hotter during certain loads, and it just the the software is smart enough to know that. I would love for you know software from Corsair to get to that level where it can monitor every individual build and eventually give you the perfect balance of thermals to noise based on your personal preference. So that's something I would like to see go forward. It solves a problem that people don't have, right? Uh, Or that don't even know they have sometimes. So right now you think, oh, I have to crank the fans up for performance or crank the fans down for noise level. But there's, like I said about um, motherboard design, diminishing returns is a certain thing. Maybe the difference between 30 decibels and 40 decibels is only half a degree. It may not be worth it for you that extra 10 decibels to you. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, so we probably got to wrap it up uh, yep. soon, but I have a uh, a list, a short list of very pointed, specific questions. So how about rapid fire with George from yep. Corsair? Sure. Yeah. All right, here we go. Uh, first one uh, from uh, Bor- Boria. Uh, any new MOBA slash MMO mice planned at all? Uh, I can't talk about unannounced products, but yes. Okay, that it's was a, easy. It's a very popular <laughs> game category, and we'd be foolish to just say, no, we're done, that's it. So we're always looking at improving Nailed MOBA it. and MMO devices <laughs> that are coming soon. All right, So cool. keep your eyes peeled. I'm sure we'll have a new product for you at some point. Uh, next one. Uh, the, does Corsair plan on releasing a, a case similar to the Corsair 1 for enthusiasts, essentially saying, like, selling the Corsair 1 case with that stuff in it? Not at this time. Uh, the Corsair 1, if you guys have never taken apart a Corsair 1, then count yourselves fortunate. It's a beautiful <laughs> design. It is a fantastic piece of uh, technology with incredibly uh, uh, well-tuned thermals and noise stuff. Uh, to sell it as a, a mini-ITX chassis that you would be able to do yourself, um, 
it would literally frustrate probably 95% of the buyers to the point of anger. Uh, and I, I, it's not because it's a poor design. It's because it was purpose-built to be a system. So we have the thermals based on what components we knew were inside. A, a little bit like a, you know, one-third of the way to a Mac Pro type of design where we know exactly what's going in there, so we have tuned the thermals to do that. If we sold it to you guys and you guys are trying to fit, you know, four different mini-ITX boards <laughs> and six different graphics cards... Um, man, work. I cannot. Tech support guys would literally storm my <laughs> office with, with pitches, pitchforks, and, and torches. It would be awful. All right, uh, that question was from MRE. Sorry, I, I forgot to say that. Uh, That's the, the case PM, by the way. Uh, next one from uh, Bastinez. Uh, what are Corsair's plans for future wireless peripherals? To make more of them. No. Oh. So you will you'll probably see more wireless peripherals coming. Um, so you guys, uh, we talked about Slipstream at CS this year, which is our new wireless technology, um, the K57 wireless Slipstream, and, and I think you'll see more and more uh, Slipstream wireless. Uh, the Iron Claw RGB and the Harpoon uh, wireless RGB, those are both wireless mice as well that use Slipstream. I think that you'll see more and more hardware with Slipstream integrated. And Slipstream, for those of you guys who don't know, is our sub one millisecond uh, re- response time uh, wireless uh, protocol. Oh, okay. Uh, Gordon's going to go for a second while I uh, ask some more questions. Uh, this next one, very pointed, from Takeshi7. Can Corsair please make an updated version of the 450D case with PSU shroud, USB-C, and tempered glass? I will tell the PM, Annie, uh, that you want that. It is uh, Basically, you want a smaller 500D then. Okay. All right. Uh, and then the next one I have is from uh, Paskowitz. Uh, Corsair toyed with carbon fiber cases once. How dead is that dream? Super dead. No. Super, oh, super, no. super Why? Dead. Uh, because the case that we made was $18,000. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's probably the main reason. Um, <laughs> but it's legitimate carbon fiber. So if you look at the, I think it was called the concept curve from Computex two years ago or three years ago we made a 780t chassis completely out of carbon fiber and tempered glass mm-hmm. and uh it was i think it was like eighteen twenty thousand dollar prototype that we built um i still have it here if you guys want to see it after this <laughs> but uh um yeah i would not expect that to be productized anytime <laughs> soon okay uh the next one uh, from the mighty voice uh very pointed why is the keyboard audio visualizer in iq locked behind a cheap wireless headset I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I don't even know if it's accurate, honestly, so <laughs> okay. I can't answer that question. I wish I could, dude, but I'm more on the DIY side than on the gaming side. Um, if they want to do another one of these with the gaming side version of me, then she'd be more than happy. Lauren would be more than happy to answer those questions. But um, I will pass it on to the IQ PM that someone asked that question because he loves, loves, loves the user response to IQ online. It's his favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the last question I have uh, from Els. Uh, how hard would it be to make my mom's basement look just like the set here? How uh, long did it take to build it out like that? <laughs> uh, were were well, you here? <laughs> I was here. Yeah. I was here for every single step of this. So very, very late at night a lot of the time. Um, this room would not, it's not technically hard. It's just expensive. That's the real trick. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think it took the paint guys like five or six days to do the paint. It was all graffiti artists, and they were working graveyard shift because they didn't want fumes in the building while people were working. So uh. they had these guys come in, and every morning we'd come in, and there would just be a new row of spray paint cans because this whole room was done with guys with stencils, projectors, and spray paints. So uh. you guys, in the in the stream, you can only see the product wall behind us, which has the, the line drawings that were recreated back there. But um, the, if you see behind, uh, when Adam uh, goes to his view, 
you can see behind him there's some characters that are on the walls. And uh, those characters were also done the same way with stencils and projectors and spray paint cans. And then guys came in and did the, the hand drawing paint uh, stuff done later. Uh, so the, the paint job was very expensive and took a bunch of guys a long time. Um, even the floor was like an epoxy coating that these guys put down in three days. It was really cool to watch with squeegees and stuff like that. Wow. So the room is, is not, it's not technically difficult. Um, it's just really expensive to do. Well, and the cool thing too is Gordon's, Gordon's enthusiastic intro actually knocked my camera into a weird spot right at the beginning of the show. So all I can see is George <laughs> and this amazing oh. <laughs> painting of Duke Nukem that's all backlit and takes up a whole wall, and it yeah. is spectacularly yeah. badass. Well, yeah. and I don't. The other thing that's really cool that it's probably hard to see is there's UV. Um, it's UV reactive, so they're glowing. I mean, it probably on the yeah, camera. The black light. It's actually black light. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you need well, like Elvis. But yeah, so that that's actually a really interesting story about Duke Nukem. So we had, uh, you know, our COO T. She sent this email to everybody saying, "Hey, what we're going to paint the game room with some cool PC gaming characters. What characters do you think should be on the walls?" And she sent that email to like twenty five people that she knows play games. And then it was like three weeks of yelling at each other over email, like <laughs> just like just literally screaming. And finally, it was a lot just of like, George, can you just filter that for me and figure out who should be on the walls? And you know, one of the things she really, really, really wanted was Duke Nukem. So she saw a picture of the Duke Nukem box art, and she goes, "Oh, we gotta have that." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm on board. I'm on board for Duke Nukem, <laughs> even though that like the last like decent Duke Nukem game was released before a lot of our people were born. I think yeah. that I the think aliens a, are going to pay for plus. shooting down my ride. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I love Duke Nukem. Uh, well, yeah, that was my my segue to say thank you for for having us uh, stream out of your your awesome uh, game room uh, and for hosting the the full nerd this week. I I appreciate it. Thanks uh, for coming down, guys. It's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, this is great. I mean, we should I, wrap it up. It's great picking the the brains of somebody who is again been doing this for a long time. But uh, I'm going to take us out uh, again. Uh, we are going to have other segments recorded with other Corsair experts, so check back on PC World. But for now, check back next week for your fix of PC talk on the full nerd. For audio listeners, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Send questions and comments to thefullnerd at pcworld.com. And also, please uh, leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Every time you do, maybe somebody makes some more cool black light art of Elvis on their gaming wall. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming. I'm Gordon Ung with Brad Charkas. Adios. Elaine Yee. Bye, everyone. Our very special guest, George Makris. Thank you, guys. And Adam Patrick Murray's going to hit the out switch. Blow it out your ass. <laughs> Is that a... <laughs> there goes our Disney sponsorship. <laughs>